Father, you have a vision that every single person here gets involved in being the church. Lord, to going and making disciples. Lord, to baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything you've commanded. Lord, that's your vision for these people here, for us as a church. Lord, remind us that it is not the building, but it's your people. By your spirit and by your word, empowering them to go, that you do it. Lord, I pray that in this moment as we hear from your word, Lord, that all distractions would fade, that you would help us to focus, Lord. Lord, I know that on any given week we have people that are celebrating and also people going through great trials and sorrow. So we pray, Father, that you would be the great burden bearer right now and literally come alongside people right now and lift those burdens so they even feel lighter because you've got it. We pray more and more that you would continue to make us a church that's all about the gospel, about glorifying you, about one anothering, and now today as we look at this passage on making disciples. Father, we dedicate this time to you and all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to First Missionary Church, and if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. Matthew 28, beginning at verse 16. And good morning, balcony people, too. (laughs) A few things while you are doing that. We have a lot of resources in the book nook. I want to mention a few. We are doing 40 days of prayer and seek God for the city. There's a booklet on how to pray for our city and region uh, starting March 6th, so I encourage you to get that. There's an app for that as well. Another one, this is one of my favorite books I've been mentioning, is A Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. It's how to apply the gospel in a rich way to your life. So I was just flipping through it this morning and saw that if you're ever struggling with sin, it talks about how does the gospel apply to that. If you're struggling to love one another or forgive one another, how does the gospel apply to that? It's a very practical and rich book. And then two more books. There's a lot of books I'm going to mention. We're going to start the book of Jonah, and there's one by Tim Keller, The Prodigal Prophet. That's there. It's over a couple hundred pages, but it's really good. And then if you're kind of intimidated by books, here's a Bible study on Jonah. Look how nice and thin that one is. It's not quite as intimidating. It's six studies on the book of Jonah. But I encourage you to check all of them out. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Matthew 28, verse 16 Very simple passage, but hard to apply. So let's read God's word. It says, Then the eleven disciples, so that's minus Judas, went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some, what's it say? Doubted. Isn't that remarkable? They struggled to believe in a risen Savior. That was right in front of them. So if you're one of those skeptics, join the club. Join the New Testament believers. Verse 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this is the last in my sermon series on four priorities. We could have more for sure, but we're going to start Jonah next week. 
But we've looked at gospeling, that is keeping the gospel central even as believers. We've looked at glorying, beholding the glory of God in Isaiah 6. And then last week we looked at what? One anothering. That's not actually a real word, by the way. (laughs) But it's being connected as a church family, bearing one another's burdens, living out those one another passages in Scripture. And then today, what are we looking at in your bulletin? What's it called? Disciple-ing, which technically that's not how you spell it, I know. (laughs) But we're to be about making disciples. And this is really important because not only did Jesus say it, but these are his last words. I mean, you ever watch a movie and there's a character that's getting ready to die, an important character, and then the camera zooms in right on the character, and then they say something really important like, the butler did it, or, you know, Luke, I am your father, whatever it is. (laughs) But it's usually really important, vital information. Well, the same is true with Jesus. He's not getting ready to die. He's already died, and he's risen from the dead and now has a new glorified resurrection body, and then he gives these last marching orders to his disciples right before he's about to beam up into heaven before their very eyes, where he is now at the right hand of the Father. These are some of his last words to go and make disciples. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at some definitions. What does it mean? And then how do we actually do it? Some practical tips. And I kind of feel like I'm taking a truck and just dumping a lot of stuff on you, but I'm going to just try to get through it. And then thirdly, we're going to look at Jesus, how he's the goal of this. So definitions, tips, and Jesus. So let's start with definitions. The first definition is what is a disciple? That's a church word, right? Here's my definition, a learner and follower of Jesus Christ. Now, how many have heard that definition before at some point in their life? How many heard it in the first service? Mike did, yes. A learner and follower of Jesus. Very simple. But another way to say it is a disciple is a Christian. So if you look in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it says the disciples were called what? Christians first at Antioch. So to be a disciple is to be a Christian or a Christ follower, and to be a Christ follower is to be a disciple. That may sound obvious, but I think that's so key as we start because some ministries and even some of us as Christians think that, well, you say a prayer, you become a Christian, and then later on down the road, you become this disciple going after deeper knowledge, whatever that means. But no, when you become a Christian, you are a what? Disciple. (laughs) You are called to follow and learn from Jesus. So that's the first part. Let's look at the next definition, discipling or making disciples. There's actually two parts to this definition. The first part is more evangelistic because this passage talks about that under the big umbrella of disciple making. So the first part of disciple making is helping non-believers become followers of Jesus Christ. It's evangelistic. There's a verse that backs this up in the book of Acts. Acts 14, 21, it says, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Those are new believers in Christ, but it calls them disciples. So part of our disciple making includes evangelism under that umbrella of disciple making. And if you look in our passage at the evangelistic side of it, there's two key words that really talk about this. There's going, and there's baptizing. As part of this evangelistic call, we are to go and make disciples and baptizing them in the name that's 
one name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if we're going to be disciple makers, we have to be evangelists at heart too. We have to go. We have to get off our couch and go. We have to be a part of helping them become followers of Jesus Christ by sharing the gospel. And we have to baptize them in our local churches. Which, by the way, do you know we have a baptism service coming up very soon? Does anyone know what day it's on? Easter. If you are interested in getting baptized, what, there's no better day than Easter. So that's part of it. There's that evangelistic side of it. And then there's the other side of it, the other angle that we often think about when we think of making disciples. And that definition is on screen as well. It's helping a believer grow in maturity in their relationship with Christ. That's the maturing part. So the first part is going and sharing the gospel with non-believers and helping them become followers of Christ. The second part is helping a believer grow. I mean, you could put it in two words, going and growing. That's what we're doing. And this is the part we often think about, the maturing part. In verse 20, Jesus says very famously, we've got to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, which is a lifelong process of growing. We often use that word uh, mentoring, coaching. That's the kind of words we use today in our society when it comes to discipling. We are to help others follow Jesus' commandments. So there's two aspects, the evangelistic side and the maturing side. And by the way, did you notice what Jesus said, what people were to target in this? Where are we to go? In verse 19, go and make disciples of what? Or who? All nations. Now, this isn't talking about countries, I think. You know, there's a couple hundred countries. The word there is actually talking about people groups. And missiologists, I was looking this up online, there's some debate, but do you know how many people groups there are in the world right now? A people group is often defined as somebody with a distinct language, but not just language, but often culture too and understanding. So depending on how you define people groups, there's anywhere from about 12,000 people groups in the world to 24,000 people groups, depending on how you define it. And do you know how many people groups are unreached in our world? Meaning that they have less than 2% evangelical witness for the gospel. Do you know how many? Well, depending on how you define it, again, there's maybe one-third of all people groups to almost one-half, according to some. I heard a sermon by David Platt this week on why the Great Commission is great. And this is what he says in his sermon. He says, in Africa, there's more than 3,000 tribes following all kinds of animistic religions that deny who Christ is. If you look at Japan and Laos and Vietnam, there's over 350 million Buddhists worshiping Buddha and not Jesus. If you go to India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka, there's more than 950 million Hindus not following Christ, worshiping more gods than you and I can count. If you go to China and Cuba and North Korea, there's over a billion people who have grown up with atheistic philosophies that deny the existence of God. And then if you go to Central Asia and the Middle East and North Africa and Southeast Asia, there's over 1.5 billion Muslims who are fasting and praying five times a day and making pilgrimages to Mecca, not following Christ. We have our work cut out for us, don't we? In reaching unreached people. 
And yes, I know there's people here in Adams County that are unreached, but they at least have access to the gospel in some way. They are important too, but we're to go to all nations, all people groups doing this, going and making. The last term I wanted to find talked about disciple, discipling, and now discipleship. Say that with me, discipleship. Now, this is my definition. Other people disagree, but this is the process by which you personally grow in maturity in Christ. So you also, as a disciple, are called to grow. That's the process for you. So we've looked at some definitions. Let's look at some practical tips. How do we actually do this? Because you think of this command, did Jesus give this command just to the 11 apostles? Did he just give it to me and the pastors here? No, he gave it to everyone. And the reason we know this is if you look at verse 20, he says, I am with you to what point in time? To the end of the age. Meaning that that command went beyond them to us today. So every single person that calls himself a disciple or a Christian is called to do this. So how do we actually do it? Well, let's look at the evangelistic aspect first. The going and baptizing the first tip is we have to let the cat out of the bag. What does that mean? I don't even like cats, by the way. No offense, Pastor Max. I don't like cats. <laughs> that means we have to let people know who we are and what we stand for, that we are actually followers of Jesus and that we like it. I remember I had a mentor back in seminary. You know what he would say when he first met someone new, like a coworker or neighbor? He would introduce himself and say, hey, my name is Marty, and I want you to first know that I am a follower of Jesus, and I would love nothing more than to talk to you about Jesus, because he's the most important thing in my life. But even if you don't want to talk about that, that's okay. I want, to be, I want to be the best coworker and neighbor you've ever had. Did you get that? <laughs> that's gutsy. <laughs> but you know why he did that? Because from that point forward in every single interaction with this person, Guess how that person is viewing Marty? Through the lens of Christ. The way Marty acts at work or not, the way he treats people, everything is going to be filtered through the lens of Christ. So I would encourage you in your disciple-making, the evangelistic part, to let the cat out of the bag. Let people know that you follow Christ. And if you're scared to do that, one even step before that would be let people know you go to church. And hopefully you like it too. I mean, hopefully you're positive about it. I mean, in your interactions in the break room or at school or wherever you're at, do people know you go to church, that you're hopefully learning something at church? Talk about those sort of things. Put those in your conversation so that people know you're a believer. The next tip, I only have two right now that could put a lot, is think of evangelism as a process. Yes, it's often a one-time event, but it's often a series of events over time that help bring someone to Christ. This little number line has always helped me. If you look at that number line, imagine negative 10 represents a non-believer very far from Christ. And then 10 represents a believer who is sold out for Christ, who is going and making disciples, very mature in Christ. Well, that zero is the point where they come from being a non-believer to a believer. That's their conversion. Well, one thing that's helped me because I've often thought I need to bring someone from negative 10 to 10 in one 10-minute conversation. Now, that can happen by God's grace. <laughs> but oftentimes what God does is he'll use you to bring someone from a negative 10 to a negative 9 so they're closer. 
or a negative 5 to a negative 3, or a negative 2 to a negative 1. And if you're really fortunate, the best part is from a negative 1 to a 0 and 1. That is the best part, right, when you get that chance. But oftentimes, you're building on other people's conversation and witness in their life. So that's always helped me because as you think of the people you're reaching as family and friends and neighbors and coworkers, wherever God has put you, think of it as a process. How can God use me today to take them to the next step, the next number? Well, I could give a lot more tips, but let's look at the other angle. We looked at evangelism, now the uh, maturing process, which we often think about in discipleship. Here's a few tips. If possible, try to find someone to disciple or mentor here in this specific church. Now, I'm not against you discipling whomever God calls you to. Don't mishear me. That's good. But this is really practical because you're going to run into them more, hopefully. You're going to see them at church. You can talk about what you're learning at church. You can invite them to stuff at church. It's just very natural and easy to do. So if possible, try to disciple someone, help them grow in their relationship with Christ in this church. Another one is use the Bible in your discipling. And everyone said, duh, that's obvious, right? But sometimes it's not obvious. When you meet with someone to help them grow, one of the best things you can do is sit down, open your Bibles, and read a passage, and then talk about it. So for instance, if the person you're helping is a newer believer, the book of Mark is a really good book book to use. It's very action-packed. Or another one, if you're discipling a more mature believer, the book of Romans, which is very dense and thick and rich with theology. But use the Bible. Talk about the Bible. And you know what you should say if they ask you a question that you don't know the answer to? Do you know what you say? I don't know. (laughs) I say that all the time when people ask me hard questions. But I'll find an answer. (laughs) I have found that so freeing. Or let's figure this out together. Here's another tip. Last tip on this part. Discipling begins in the home. With your family. With your spouse with your kids. Yes, it goes out, of course. But if you're not discipling in the home, you shouldn't be discipling out there. Get that right first and then go out together. Let me give you some more tips. I know this is a lot of information. Maybe I should just put this one up there and leave it at that. Keep it what? Simple. Don't overthink this. God has equipped you. God has called you. You don't have to be a biblical expert to do this. You just have to be a follower of Jesus who believes that Jesus said, go and make disciples. I'm going to do that because Jesus said said to do it. Keep it simple. In fact, be intentional in your schedule. Like, don't try to add something in. Try to look at what you're already doing and make it about discipling. So if you like to work out, maybe invite your disciplee to work out with you. I mean, what better way? Talk about Jesus and sweat together. I mean, that's great. (laughs) If you like sports, join a sports league and At least you're enjoying what you're doing while you're trying to get to know people and make disciples. If you're a stay-at-home mom, get together with other stay-at-home moms and, you know, lament on the the struggle of raising kids together. (laughs) Keep it simple. Another piece of advice is use your local church. You see, God God designed local churches to be the perfect vehicle for disciple-making. In fact, if you look at that passage carefully, did you notice it says baptizing? The ordinance of baptism is given 
to the local church. So kind of indirectly, Jesus is saying, they, these people that you reach with the gospel, need to be a part of a local church, a Christian community. So use your local church to help you disciple. Invite people to church. We have Easter coming up. Invite them to your small group or a Sunday school class or an event you're doing. But use your local church. Finally, hospitality is so key. The best place that discipleship often happens or discipling is in the living room or in the kitchen with somebody. I have found that when you provide a meal for someone and you talk about the things of Jesus, it's amazing with their drinking coffee and eating dessert, how people just open up about their life and about Christ. I know it's a little bit messy. We have three young kids, so we try to do this, my wife and I. And when we're in Lima, we uh, invited a young couple over, and it sounds weird saying a younger couple than us over, (laughs) that didn't have kids, and we had two kids at the time. And uh, it's getting near bedtime, so we had them over for a meal and are just talking about life and discipleship stuff. And I said, you guys need to stick around and watch us put our kids to bed. You need to see this. (laughs) Because at that time, our two-year-old daughter, 20 pounds, our smallest kid, (laughs) she really struggled with brushing teeth. I mean, we had to physically restrain her, hold her down, both of us. (laughs) Because a 20-pound, two-year-old girl turns into the Incredible Hulk when you try to brush her teeth. I mean, they are strong. (laughs) So we held her down. We brushed her teeth as she's screaming. I mean, this is like every night for six months in our lives. And I looked over at the young couple, and their eyes were like this. I think we delayed them having children for a few years. (laughs) I bring this up when it comes to discipling because it just goes to show our lives are messy. (laughs) Bring them into what you're already doing. Be yourselves. You don't have to be this perfect Christian. Our lives are messy. Our house is messy, often with little kids. Bring them up. Bring them over. And disciple them in the word. Help them grow. You'll be amazed at what God does through those kind of opportunities. All right, the last part, and the most important part. If you hear nothing else I'm going to say today, it it all comes back to Jesus Christ. Jesus must be the main thing we're about in making disciples. And here's why, because Jesus assures us of a couple things in this passage. In verse 18, Jesus assures us of his power. It says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, it's not like Jesus lost his authority, but in light of the resurrection, in light of Easter, his authority is obvious. He conquered death and sin and the devil and hell. He walked on water. He raised the dead. He healed the sick and the lepers. He fed the 5,000. And so Jesus reminds us that he has power. And this does a couple of things in our lives. For, For some of us, This kind of gives us a little bit of kick to go and do this, you know, to not be so consumed with Netflix and social media or whatever we're consumed with and actually get off our couches and go because Jesus, the all-powerful one, told us to go do this. But then for others of us, this encourages us because if you're in the game and you're doing this and trying to reach out evangelistically and trying to help people grow, it can be discouraging, it can be challenging, But if you have the one who raised the dead on your side, if you have the one who fed the 5,000 on your side, you actually believe that something can happen when you share the gospel and you disciple people. 
You have like the best teammate ever in Jesus Christ to help you. So Jesus reminds us of his power, his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. That same Jesus is with you when you go and you make disciples. And let me let you in on a little secret in this. Oftentimes, I don't think we experience his power and presence because we don't go and just take a step as Jesus calls us to. And when you do that, when you go out on a limb, try to share the gospel and help someone, Jesus' power comes and helps you. So Jesus assures us of his power, and then he also assures us of his presence. In verse 20, Jesus said very famously, I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's a remarkable promise that we have, that Jesus is with us. You know, I was thinking about this in pastoral ministry. I've had some great mentors in the faith, great coaches and disciplers, and one of the things that always helped me when I was learning is I would go with them to do ministry, and they would say, Rick, you're in charge here. You go, I'll watch, I'll be with you. And that was intimidating because I don't want to mess up while the, the big guy's watching me, but it was also encouraging because if I messed up and said something dumb, He could jump in and help me because he's with me. Well, every time we go out and make disciples, whether it's a non-believer or a believer, Jesus is with you. The best teammate ever is with you, helping you, leading you, guiding you. And you don't have to be a varsity Christian to do this. Every Christian is expected and encouraged, commanded to do this. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? I want to give you some time to think for a second. And Mike, you can come forward and the team. I want you to think about a few things now. Um, The big question is, what is God calling you to do in response? And there may be a couple ways. One is, who might God be calling you to reach out to and share the gospel? Or who might God be calling you to reach out to in this very church and help mentor and disciple? Invite over for a meal? Another aspect, too, is part of your discipleship journey. There's a lot to think about here. Who might God be calling you to reach out to and say, hey, would you help mentor me and disciple me in the faith? So how might God be calling you to respond today? Let's take a few moments of silence to think about this. Father, I believe you have a clear vision from your word of every single believer being involved in disciple-making. Lord, imagine if we're a church that is truly in the game doing this, Lord, going to to the lost and sharing the gospel, helping them become followers of Christ, helping others grow in their relationship with Christ. Lord, it would be incredible. Lord, this isn't just theory, though. We believe that you can actually do this and equip us by your spirit, every single person, to do this. So help us not to overcomplicate it. Help us to keep it simple. Lord, help us to reach out to those in need. Share the love of Christ and the word of Christ with them, we pray. Father, may you equip our people to do this by your spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.